Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. Welcome to One Church CO. We're glad to have you here today. I, it was uh, last week, Pastor Jessica, I was on the stage, and I was listening to family and friends of a loved one, one of the members of our church, and they were sharing words about their life at their homegoing celebration. And, you know, uh, her name was Glenda. She was 55 years old. Uh, she lived a good life, a generous life, a loving life, a sacrificial life. Uh, she gave her friends and family and me a lot to work with in celebrating her life and pointing to what Jesus had done in her life. Now, Glenda had figured out something that Pastor Jessica and I want to help you figure out today. Uh, we want to help. She had figured out there's a difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. There's a big difference, actually. Resume virtues are focused on your professional accomplishments, your earthly successes in life. A resume virtue requires you need to compare to someone else to know how you're doing. That's the only way resume virtues work. You know you've accomplished something and you're compared to somebody else. Eulogy virtues are different, though. These are the things you want said of you when your day comes, when your funeral day comes, actually. Eulogy virtues are... Focus on your ethics and your spirituality and your character. And it requires no comparison to anyone else. Eulogy virtues are something we should all aspire to live together. You know, and the problem is, is I think we're all, I've never met a person that doesn't want to be a good person. I think every one of us wants to be a good person. If you're online, I'm sure you want to be a good person. And, and here's the thing in life, when you, when, you're to, when you aspire to do that and you want to be that, how do you know when you've accomplished that? How do you know when you've actually reached that? Eulogy virtues can feel so not interesting. They can feel like you're losing your competitive edge in their, with the resume virtues in life. So much of life is about success and opening doors and achieving, and eulogy virtues are less about doing, more about being. And they seem like either a waste of time or they feel like you're losing your competitive edge somehow. But here's the truth, and most of us who have aged in life, you begin to discover this, that resume virtues have depreciating returns on investment over time. You see, early in life, we focus a lot on opening doors. You're raising kids, you want them to succeed in life, and you, you focus a lot on those resume virtues. But you find over time that they have depreciating returns. Eulogy virtues, in contrast, at first, not a lot of people compliment character formation. But over time, you begin to recognize that that's what people value most in life and what matters most in life. I think Rabbi Abraham Heschel said it best when he said this, when I was young, I admired clever people, resume virtue. Now that I'm old, I admire kind people, eulogy virtues. See, I noticed as my dad aged, people cared less and less about the businesses he built. He built a number of businesses. Nobody asked about them. People cared less and less about his educational path or his financial wealth. You know what they all talked about? 
It was almost a year ago when, when he went to be with Jesus. They talked about his character. They talked about how he loved. They talked about how generous he was. I heard stories about him I'd never known about his generosity. Resume virtues live in the past as we age. Recently, I read a little account of a CEO who had built a big company, 20 years, and he retired. And he, after about six months, I think he was a little bored, and he went back to see the people at work, thought he'd give them a hand, and he shockingly discovered that he went from a who's who to who are you? Because that's how life goes. That's how life trends. The secret is not to tie your identity and your value to resume virtues because they depreciate. Instead, tie it to eulogy virtues, those things that will cause you to always be relevant in life, no matter how you age, fruitful in life, and always useful. So good morning, friends. Welcome to week five of our Living Backwards series. Today, we want to help you live with fewer regrets, to live with more meaning and help us all really to run a race well. Now, Pastor Jonathan and I are going to give you four eulogy virtues that someday I think all of us will be really happy that we focused on here today. Now, for those of you, by the way, in the chat, for those of you in the chat, I'm going to encourage you actually to add your questions in the comment section because after this gathering, we're going to join you online and we're going to do a Q&A. So any questions that you have, throw them in the chat. We can't wait to get to them. Now, the first virtue that we're going to explore today is so important for ambitious people and those of us who are busy Torontonians, and it's this one, building people over building projects. Now, building projects is a resume virtue that can be extremely attractive to many of us because at its core, it feeds this desire to be able to show and tell the things that we do in this life. You see, building projects often presents us with a formula that we can follow, and it's very attractive to anyone who might call themselves an ambitious person. It looks like this. Building projects gives us a problem that we can go and solve. It often gives us a process that we can follow. And finally, the one that we all really like, it gives us a product that we can go and show off in the world. And the lure of building projects can really be difficult for us to resist. I'll be honest, hustle comes really naturally to me. I find building projects exciting. And there's a gift in people like me because we can get a lot accomplished in this life and we often- Get things done. Get things done. We have a lot to show for it. Um, but if we're not careful, what will happen is we can take this approach with people. And if we take this approach with people, this approach often bulldozes through relationships, devastating people under the guise of efficiency. Friends, the reality is, and I'm sure you have as well, I've sat with families as they mourn the loss of those whom they love, and they rarely talk about the projects. They rarely talk about those big buildings that they, that they built. They don't talk about the impressive teams that they led. They don't even talk about those checklists that they checked every single day that people like me really, really like. Rather, they talk about how their loved ones made them feel. They remember with fondness the things that they did together, the time that had been invested, and the wisdom that had been imparted. See, the work of building people is very different than the work of building projects. Any parent 
who has ever tried to use this formula, and I have, to build your children, any person that's ever felt like somebody's project, like somebody was working on them, you'll understand that applying this formula to people will create distance rather than relationship. It's the difference in how we saw Jesus live his life. In those days, the most important religious leaders could often be found in the temple, working for God, separated from the people. Uh, But Jesus, he does things completely differently. He goes and he finds himself, these 12 friends, they're kind of like a group of misfits. There's nothing so impressive about these guys. And then Jesus begins to live life alongside of them. See, instead of using people to build his kingdom, Jesus goes and he builds people. And as he does that, this is how the kingdom of God advances. See, the way that Jesus lived is completely different than the way that people use to build projects. Because building projects, remember, we have a problem we can solve, we have a process we can follow, and a product that we can show off. But when Jesus goes and he builds people, this is what he does. He sees them. He sees them. And then he loves them. And finally, he prepares them for a time where he will no longer physically be with them. We read throughout the Gospels how Jesus laid down his legacy day after day. In every interaction, he models for his disciples what it means to actually follow God. See, for about three years, Jesus goes and he lives life with these disciples. He eats with them, he travels with them, he works with them, he shows them how to help other people. And as he does this, what Jesus is doing, it's, it's this incredible, the best mentorship, apprenticeship you could ever see. What he does is he shows them how to live in community, how to serve other people, even how to include those the world would deem unlovable. The truth is that building people requires a different set of tools than building projects. Now, at the heart of our home sits a table. It's a wooden table that Skip's papa actually built for us with these tools. It was made from the pine trees that surrounded the farm that Skip's grandparents raised their own children on. And these were trees that Skip's papa had cut down so that he could create a set of custom tables that he hoped would be passed down for generations to come. Now, our table tells a story. It's not fancy. It's not beautiful. It's weathered and it's worn. Its surface is scoured and pitted by markings from many cousins who have sat around it before. You see, my kids are not the first to eat their meals around this table. But they too have left their legacy inside the table with their own imprints of pencils and doodles. And one of my kids even left some permanent markings on this table. Now, a few years ago, shortly after Skip's grandma had passed away, Skip and I went and spent a day with his papa. And what we were doing was we were cleaning out his wooden workshop because he was preparing to sell his house and move into his next chapter, living in a retirement home. And he was unable to bring any of these tools, and so he was passing many of them on to Skip. And it was this bittersweet day. I bet. As he said goodbye to the tools that had built his family's life for over 50 years. And even though these tools have come in real handy over the years, it's actually the way that Skip's grandparents chose to live their life that has been the most helpful to Skip and I. Because from the very first day that I ever met them, 
there has been this consistency about them. See, every interaction with them, they've always been incredibly present. Even today, as the years have slowed him down physically, Skip's papa will spend such incredible time engaging with each of my children every time they visit, asking specific things that actually interest them. Friends, consistency matters when we're building people. Consistency is actually the tool that we need if we're going to get this virtue of building people right. The truth is that building projects will bring you the quickest results in the short term because building people is time-consuming work. It's the work of a lifetime compared to the work of a day. It takes perhaps a year to build a house. It takes an entire lifetime to build a child. Uh, not unless you're me. It might take a lifetime to build a oh, house. Well, it so would like, take I'm you a lifetime. It would take me a lifetime. It might take Skip a little bit right, less. Right, right. Maybe he, a year. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> but children and people, it takes a lifetime. Consistent time, consistent sacrifice, consistent presence. See, building people is the work of a lifetime that will actually lay down a legacy that will last. The truth is, friends, my family may pass down a table that my grandchildren will hopefully one day sit around. But I know this. I know that my children will tell the stories of their great papa that they loved to their own children. Because it's the moments in our loved one's presence that we will one day cherish the most. It's the time that is invested that will live on in the generations that follow us. Friends, building projects leaves you with something that you can see. But building people leaves you with a legacy that can be felt and a legacy that will live on. I really, I really like that, Pastor Jessica. You know, because it requires patience. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know how many have the gift of that. Uh, be careful praying for it. God gives you lots of opportunities to exercise that. But uh, it's trusting that God is building something bigger than your building project. And that people aren't a means to an ends. People are what it's about. And so you're patient with people by reminding yourself how patient God has been with you. So the first virtue, remembering this, building, building people is greater than building projects. The next one is simply this, the, love of li the life of love is greater than the love of life. Uh, my grandfather was born in 1890 in La Plata, Argentina. And he, he wrote this uh, little saying, and it, he penned it with his own hands. And it simply says this. I think it'll come up on the screen. Uh, he taught me to yield up the love of life for the sake of the life of love. This sat on his desk. This sat on my dad's desk. This now sits on my desk. You know, the, the love of life is something we hear a lot about in this life. Get the most out of it. You have one life to live. Milk it for every ounce you can get out of it. And there's an aspect of that posture that's kind of healthy. There's a part of it that says, because sometimes I, in life, sometimes I want to shake people and say, hey, wake up as you burn through days on Instagram reels, <laughs> as you fall down into a YouTube tunnel. Anyone ever done that? Okay, the rest of you are lying. We've all been there. But you can churn through days. Every day is precious. Stay hungry. Stay curious. But there's a higher calling than the love of life. It's a calling to the life of love. See, in the beginning, God created us to love 
and be loved in return. And our lives find completion as we experience love and we give love to others. Jesus gives this command to his followers. And as I read it, it's very familiar. I've been around church for any length of time, but it's a command he gives. Very interesting. Not a suggestion, uh, not a hint, but a command he gives you. And I want you to see as I read it, what is the standard of love Jesus calls us to? This is what he says. So I'm now giving you a new commandment. Love each other. So I guess there's no qualifier that certain people qualify and other people don't. No. Ugh. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. In other words, your mama's not the standard of love. Your daddy's not the standard of love. Your girlfriend, boyfriend, partner are not the standard of love. Jesus is the standard of love that we're called to emulate in this world. So to live a life of love, though, is hard. I have three questions, I'm going to unpack them just for a moment with you, that I ask myself with great regularity uh, to see whether I'm living the life of love. The first one is, am I loved? Uh, am I loving? Two, uh, do you feel loved by me? And three, what does love require of me? So the first one, am I loving? I've never met a person that would feel like I'm not a loving person. Everybody thinks they're a loving person, but how do you know that? How do you objectively evaluate whether or not you are a loving person? So I'm going to give you a diagnostic tool that's actually found in Scripture. Because am I loving is a diagnostic question. There's a passage, it's called the love chapter. It's often quoted at weddings, and I'm always like, are you sure you want to quote that? Because it's a high standard. It's very difficult. Uh, but this is what love looks like. This is what love sounds like. This is what love acts like. So Pastor Jessica is going to read this passage, and as she does, I'd invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. Now, if you've been sleeping, open your <laughs> eyes. But close your eyes as Pastor Jessica reads this, and this is the standard of the life of love that Jesus calls us to. So 1 Corinthians 13 says this, love is patient and kind. It's never jealous, boastful, proud, or rude. Love isn't selfish or quick-tempered. It doesn't keep a record of wrongs that others do. Love rejoices in the truth, but not in evil. Love is always supportive, loyal, hopeful, and trusting. Love never fails. That's a hard list. I notice that the romantic nature is not even dead. Love goes on good dates. <laughs> Love is... This, this is a bit of a checklist, almost a diagnostic tool that you'll notice for love. Things like this, and patience, jealous. I, I don't know which one you can do, but when I go through this diagnostic list, I have moments where I feel like the Holy Spirit is calling me out. See, there are some things on this list that are fairly easy to me. Not because I'm great, normally just my temperament. There are things on this list that come easy to you. Not because you're that great, it's more your temperament. I tend to be a, a very forgiving person. Uh, and I don't know if it's because I've seen so many people walk through life with unforgiveness, and I have seen what it's done to them. Maybe it's that I'm scared, I don't know. But it's, stuff slides off me a bit easier. I think that's not a credit to me. I think it's just kind of my temperament. Uh, kindness, just says something that kind of pops uh, in my life a little bit easier. But I'll tell you, it's really hard to be patient. 
it's hard not to be proud. And my pride doesn't always manifest as arrogance. It's often this deep need in me to try to be noticed, to, to need praise of other people. This checklist is one that's healthy. It's a diagnostic to, tool. Am I loving? How do you objectively answer it? Go through this list. Go through this list. Then the second question is, do you feel loved by me? That first one's a, a diagnostic question. The second one is a relational question. See, why do, why do you ask this question? Well, I've noticed that I, I hang way too much on my good intentions. Have you ever noticed that in life? That often we build lives and relationships around intentions. Well, as long as my good intentions are there, then whatever I say, if it hurts you, that's your problem. I meant it for good. You know, uh, Pastor Stephanie once said this, a little phrase to me, I, I, and I've thought about it ever since she mentioned it. There was an injustice going on in the world, and there was one group that felt like, hey, we, were, we had nothing but good intentions, and she said this. I'm going to make sure I get it right. She said, uh, do, well, where is it here? Sorry. She said this, good intentions do not mitigate impact. Your intent is how you think or feel. Your impact is how you're felt by others. See, I've asked my partner Shelly this question many times. Do you feel loved by me? Because I know I love her. I know I have lots of good intentions towards her. I, I know it many times she said things like this. Uh, I feel distant from you. Now, I automatically want to get into facts mode, Pastor Jessica. Yeah. What do you mean distance? We sleep together. We live in the same house. We do life together. How can you feel distant from me? But she's not talking proximity. She's talking intimacy. I, I feel like I'm not a priority. And I want to argue that too sometimes. I, 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 feel, like, I feel like you don't share your life. What do you mean? I told you what I did today. But she wants more than that, right? Do you love me is a relational question. And when you ask that question, it's not inviting a debate. You're listening. Am I loving? Do you love me? Because when it comes to good intentions, just hang your good intentions. Love unexpressed is unfelt by others. It's the expression. It's the connection. Do you feel loved by me? And the last one, maybe the hardest question, what does love expect, require of me? Now, this is a difficult question because it's a situational question. It's when you're in conflict with others. What does love require of you? See, there's something in me that wants to justify my stance, my moment, or I want to jet from a relationship. You ever been like that? You know, it pushes me to engage in a conflict. I don't like conflict naturally. You know me well enough, Pastor You don't Jessica. like conflict. I don't like conflict naturally. I'm a middle kid. Can't we all just love each other? Kumbaya. I love those moments. But love requires sometimes engaging in conflict to resolve something. You have to resolve it. So what does love require of me? Stepping into the pocket of the awkwardness of this moment to resolve this. Or sometimes I just want to cut a relationship off move away from it. What does love require of me? So, am I loving? Do you feel loved by me? What does love require of me? See, he taught me to yield up the love of life 
for the life of love. Those are the things that are remembered someday when somebody sits on a platform like this and talks about you, the life of love that you lived. It's so true. Those questions, those are questions I need to ask myself. As you were showing us that list, there were areas where the Holy Spirit was like that one. Even as I was reading the scripture and everyone, your eyes were so closed, there's areas in that list that I, do the people that I love actually feel the love that I have for them? That's really good. Our third uh, virtue that we want to look at is this idea of empty buckets over bucket lists. Now, I'm a bucket list person. I know you are. I have an ever-growing list uh, that I want to get to before I breathe my last breath here on this earth. And as we were preparing this teaching, Pastor Jonathan, you said to me, well, what are the top things on your bucket list? This is what they are. Top one probably is to go swimming in Tonga with the humpback whales. As is everybody's, right? I know, right? Uh, uh, Also, I want to go on safari in the Serengeti with my kids. And then probably the biggest one that Skip and I, well, I really want to do and uh, is sell everything that we own, buy a boat, and sail around the world. See, I can be tempted often by this what's next attitude, which is often frustrating for those who live around me, especially my poor husband, Skip. We often joke that I'm like a kite in the sky, and he is like the string that grounds me to the earth. But because we all want to know, was the water bucket filled? Was the water bucket filled? The Brita filter in your fridge. You know what? He has been doing such an excellent... Give him a round. Oh, I tell He's you. He's been doing such an excellent job since you gave him that gift. I, and I, I called him out. That's all that was missing. It was all that was missing. A little public shaming. That's you know all what? that was missing. <laughs> you know what? I, I give it to him a lot. But I will tell you this. If, if I didn't have Skip, I'd be off in the clouds. All our possessions would be gone. I'd be living in a tent on some beach. But he keeps me grounded. Uh, because my bucket list is ever growing. Now, a few years ago, I walked on a journey with a friend who was preparing to say an earthly goodbye to her dad here on this earth. Now, her dad was an exceptional individual, but he had received this devastating diagnosis that included a very limited timeline left here on this earth. And one day, He said something that I will never forget. He said this, the key in this life is to spend yourself. See, when your final breath comes, you want to be able to say that you emptied every last drop that God had given to you. Friends, I've weighed that wisdom over the years that have followed, considering how I might work towards emptying my bucket rather than just filling up my bucket list. The Apostle Paul, he writes near the end of his life and he says this, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. Friends, what would it look like if we were to offer ourselves up, to pour ourselves out like Paul did so that our buckets were not overflowing at the end of this life, but rather... They were empty. When people talk about an inheritance or a legacy, we so often immediately consider the physical possessions and the money that we hold. You know those things that we write down when we sit down and write down our will, which you should if you haven't. But friends, our earthly buckets are filled with more than just dollars and cents. 
But I've found that there's a few factors in this life that can stop us or detract us from living this empty bucket eulogy virtue. The first one is this, holding back, holding back. The reality is that often those of us who have walked through difficult seasons in our lifetime, experts would say that this is prevalent in our lives and they call it a scarcity mindset. With this mindset, our temptation is to want to hold back on everything just in case we ever experience hardships again. In fact, studies will tell us that people who have walked through life with any type of deficit, they will continue to live with a scarcity mentality even after they are no longer living in that reality. And I found that this plays out not just in money and resources, which it does, uh, but when someone in a family holds back their affection and their words because it's hard for them to express their love. And what often happens is that their adult children are left at the end of their life wondering if their parents were ever even proud of them or even if they actually loved them. Friends, none of us want to be left at the end of our life holding a bucket of unsaid words or affection. Uh, for those of us who may have not learned how to express our emotions and our words, this is where therapy is actually a wonderful avenue. It helps us give the tools that we need to actually empty our buckets in this lifetime. See, you're never too old and time has never passed too much for you to figure out a way to move forward. What a gift it would be. What a legacy it would be for the next generation to do the work of emptying out your bucket in this lifetime. I've found, and you probably have too, it's beautiful to witness when older parents have learned to say the words, I love you, yeah. or I'm proud of you, to their grown children. In those moments when I've seen this happen, it's actually that they often leave an even greater legacy than a full bank account or a trust fund ever could. And then there's another factor that I find holds us back from emptying out our buckets here on this earth, and it's this thought. What do I even have? Pastor Jonathan, you probably like me, I've heard this statement over the years. It, it comes often from the younger generation who's just starting out in their careers or their life, and also the older generation who have already walked through uh, many of the major milestones in their lives. I don't have things in my bucket that anyone would be interested in anymore. Friends, there could be nothing that's farther from this truth. Each of us have something that we can offer, something that we can pour out. Now, we have a friend in our neighborhood. Uh, we've known her for many years. Her name is Miss Susan. That's what our kids call her. And a few years ago, Miss Susan's husband passed away. And since then, she has become like family to my family. Uh, but this year has been especially difficult for Miss Susan because she's been battling with some hip pain and she's been waiting for a surgery and that has limited her mobility quite a lot. And she has a dog. Her dog's name is Jackson. But because of all the issues that she's been facing this year, um, she's been un unable to walk her dog on a consistent basis. Now, why would I be telling you this story? Well, we have three children who desperately want a dog. And these three children have two parents who desperately do not want a dog. Here's the beautiful thing. My children have something to offer to Miss Susan. See, their buckets are filled with time, with energy, 
with health and mobility. And so for the past year, they have been able to empty their buckets by walking Miss Susan's dog daily for her. And then in return, Miss Susan, who is a retired teacher, has been able to pour out her bucket by tutoring our children and investing in their lives while building out their brains. Friends, it could be easy to assume that my young children have nothing to offer because they have very limited bank accounts. And it could also be very easy to assume that Miss Susan, in this season, might have less to offer because her mobility is so limited. But friends, the reality is that each of us have plenty in our buckets to pour out. Each of us have plenty in our buckets to spend. We have time, we have resources, we have words, we have love, we have talents. See, the world will tempt you that you should focus on your bucket list. And if we do this on its own, we're actually going to discredit the many things that God has placed inside of our own buckets. The truth is that if I empty, if I fill up my bucket list here on this earth, it's only going to benefit me. It's not going to last, is it? But friends, when we empty our buckets in this lifetime, our legacy begins to overflow into the lives that will actually follow us. That's so good, Pastor Jessica. I, I think if I was going to summarize what you're going to say, you said basically before you kick the bucket, empty the bucket. Is that kind of what you're before thinking? Before you kick the bucket, empty the bucket. Yeah, that was it's, good. It's less messy. We didn't that plan that. But we did I just not thought plan. That was you good. Teach, I was thinking like kick the bucket, right? Before you, you kick the bucket, to... empty your bucket. You know, I like it. I, I think of all the people I've met with in life, and I've, we met, we've met thousands uh, you know, over the course of ministry, 30 years pastoring, 20-some years of pastoring. You, you meet a lot of people. I, all the men and women that I met that have a father wound or a mother wound because they left things unsaid. They just didn't give their blessing to their children. They gave their disappointment to them. Maybe their kids couldn't live up to what maybe they thought they should be, could be. Maybe their children made bad choices in life. I'm not defending people's choices. But a parent can bless in a way others can't. And they can fill a hole like others can't. I love you is powerful words. I know that the last thing my dad ever said to any of us, I was on a FaceTime screen. He's in a bed. He couldn't talk anymore. And he tapped the screen three times, which was the way he told my mother he loved her. He'd always say, I love you. When they're in public, he'd just give her a little tap, three taps. And he tapped the screen for me. He left nothing unsaid. Nothing unsaid. The last virtue, character success over career success. Character success over career success. Now, Pastor Jessica and I brought our theological degrees with us we today. We sure did. There we go. Our theological degrees, you know. Oh, yes, I know. They represent a lot of hard work. A lot of hard work. These uh, can reassure you to some degree or another that we, we've studied hard to learn scripture, to learn theology and doctrine so we could teach you. But they can't, you know, it was so hard finding mine. Yeah. I, I, I searched for hours in our crawl space trying to find where this thing was. Shelly finally found it, and it was covered under like such a thick layer of dust. And I brought it out. I partially dusted it off. I should have did the rest of it. Uh, did you, was it hard to find yours? No, you know what? This is a virtue. I don't struggle with it all. It was proudly placed up in my office. I just had to pull it off as we came out here. So, 
So we just approach it differently. But you know, these degrees <laughs> show you that we were disciplined enough to complete something we started, we studied, but they can't tell you that whether we're kind or loving. These degrees can't tell you whether we'll be a good ethical pastor or not. These degrees won't tell you whether we know God. They'll tell you we know something about God. They can't reveal whether we actually know God in life. I don't want to be too hard on resume virtues because Pastor Jessica and I recognize this is all part of life. We're not saying resume virtues are evil. We're just saying they're limited. They're incomplete. Resume virtues will open doors for you, though, in life. But it's eulogy virtues that open hearts towards you in life. It opens people to you in life. So be careful, lest your giftings and your resume virtues outpace your character. Those, those eulogy virtues. You know, when I think about this, I often think of one of my favorite characters in Scripture who provides a cautionary tale for all of us. His name is Samson. If you know his story, you know he was, he was something. I mean, he was a good-looking man. His Instagram feed was filled with all kinds of thirst pics. <laughs> he had lots of followers. All the women loved him. All the men wanted to be like him. He was, power, he was successful at what he did. He had scaled the height of power. He was a judge over all of Israel. He was smart. He was wealthy. He had it all together. And in an era where physical strength was valued over everything, he had it in spades. There was no equal to Samson. Samson was a man who had a resume virtue list or career success list that really exceeded mine and probably most of us in this room. He was spectacular. But his, his giftings outpaced his character. He elevated his career success over his character success in life. And you can see it in his story is fascinating here. In the story, every time Samson did these incredibly strong feats of act, like he was, in, you can read it in Judges, I think, 13 to 16, somewhere there. You can see all these great acts of strength he did. Every time it's accompanied with this verse, it says this, then the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him and he does this incredible act of power. Incredible act of power. But something changes. As he experiences his success in life, he, less depend, he becomes less dependent on God in life. And in chapter 16, his life takes a tragic turn. In chapter 16, he's with a prostitute in a city. Samson's muscles had outpaced his morals. And he's with this prostitute, and his enemies lay in wait for him outside the city gates. He's trapped inside the city. And they're waiting for him to come out in the morning. They're going to kill him. At midnight, though, Samson gets up. He gets up, and he, it's an incredible act of power and strength. It says he rips off the city gates and the posts with his own bare hands, and he carries them off to Hebron. But sadly, it doesn't say in this passage that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Samson's kind of like us. When we desperately need God, we're calling on Him. And sometimes we get so strong in this life, our resumes get so huge in this life, we don't even need Him. Here's what happens, though. You know the story. Maybe he gets involved with the wrong woman, Delilah. She cuts off his hair, which was a source and representation of his strength. 
And then it says this in chapter 16, as his enemies descend upon him. Every other time, he just shrugged them off. He, he shrugged them off and powerfully went through them. But this time it said this. He couldn't shrug them off. And it says, but he did not know that the Lord had left him. That may be the saddest verse in Scripture. He didn't even know it. Why? Because he was still attending church. He was still the judge over Israel. He was still involved in the things of God, but like this degree, he knew a lot about it, but he didn't know him. He didn't even know that God had left him in that moment. Career success can easily outpace character success. Friends, I love celebrating people's successes. I mean, don't you? You know, their accomplishments, the educational degrees, the different things that they're able to do in this life. But I, I've watched people at the end of their lives trying to elevate their financial success, their educational success, their career success. Why? All they're doing in this life, because they're scared. And they're empty at that point. They're desperately trying to hold up what they've done to justify who they've become. And it's hollow. It's empty. Friends, these eulogy virtues, they're worth fighting for. Character over your career. Don't take shortcuts. Building people over building projects. People are eternal. Projects are temporary. A life of love, a life of love instead of the love of life. Enjoy this life, but live a sacrificial life of love. And then empty buckets over bucket lists. Yeah, Pastor Jonathan, it's tempting and easy to get focused on those resume virtues, isn't it? Uh, if we're not careful, friends, we'll condition ourselves to hold on to and pursue resume virtues. And if we're really not careful, we'll actually encourage our kids and those who are following us to strive for those resume virtues. But friends, it's a trap. It's a trap. It's not that resume virtues are unimportant or bad. It's just that, that saying that goes, not all that glitters is gold. See, the gold is actually found in the eulogy virtues, not the trophies that this world will offer you, but the rewards that God says he offers. Let me speak to you this moment as a parent. Uh, it's tempting, really tempting, to focus on the resume virtues when we're raising our kids, because this is what opens up doors in our children's lives, isn't it? But let me encourage you, place as much as you place importance on the concurrent stream of your kids' lives, their skills, their education, their sports, the activities that they're in, we need to do it alongside focusing on their character and developing the fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, mm. patience, all those things that are gonna last in their life. As we elevate the how they achieve things in the same height as the what they achieve in this life, maybe a little bit less, mm. we will help our children and we'll actually help ourselves live with fewer regrets. I, I've done many funerals. I know you have, Pastor Jessica. And as you draw near the end of your life and you're meeting with families or even individuals who are planning their own home going, I've never had one person say, remind everyone I built that company. I've never had one person say, remind them that I had a C-suite office. 
Those trophies belong on LinkedIn, not on headstones. They want people to remember something different. People remember how you made them feel. They remember that long after you left the room. People remember what you gave. People remember the generosity of people. People remember your values and your character. So just as we conclude here, Pastor Jessica, you answer this question, uh, if you would. Let's just imagine, this is your homegoing celebration. Many, many years from now, many, 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 many years many. from now, what would you want your family and friends to say about you? I hope that they would say that I was there. That they, when they needed an embrace, when they needed a support, that I could be counted on to show up. I hope my kids say that they could always look up and see me in the stands, whether they had made that winning basket or whether they had blown the whole game. I hope they know that I was their biggest supporter. I hope those who I love in this life would say that whether the world was cheering their name or cursing their name, that I was there always mm. to support them, that my door was always open. I pray that they would know that there was always a seat at our table for them. I guess at the end of it, what I hope that they would say is that Jessica was ever present and always faithful. What about you, Pastor Jonathan? That same question. What do you hope that we, that your friends and your family, that your kids say about you at the end of your life? You know, I was speaking to the men in the room because I think sometimes we leave more things unsaid than we should. Uh, I would want my boys, my kids, my partner, my church, my friend, my families to know without a doubt that I loved them that I was proud of them. And I would want them to know that I love Jesus more than anything in this life. And that I made my life's ambition to be a part of sharing Jesus with as many people as I could in this life. You know, it's funny, Pastor Jessica, like uh, when I was looking for that degree in the basement, like, oh, this was like hide and seek, honestly, it was so <laughs> hidden. I don't think we could have put it further in the back. <laughs> I stumbled across a box. Shelly had told me it was there, but I had never seen it. And it was a box my parents had left. When they moved back out east, they'd kind of dumped a bunch of stuff on us, and it was in the basement, unopened. And I opened that box, and in it was this letter. And I had never seen this letter before. And I read this letter. It was to my childhood pastor, Raymond Hunston. And he was in Wales. He was Welsh. And a woman in Wales wrote him this letter, She's from Swansea. And in this letter, she wanted to be passed on to my family. She didn't know me. She didn't know us. But here's what she wrote. She said, please, can you convey to a certain gentleman in your congregation my thanks? If he's already gone to heaven, and he had, please convey to his family my appreciation so they can praise God for his miraculous goodness. On November 27, 1947, my husband Jim, who was in the Merchant Navy, was docked in the week for a week in St. John, New Brunswick. And a gentleman boarded the boat with Christian literature. He encouraged and prayed with Jim in the galley. That gentleman took Jim to a gospel service that evening where they sang the hymn, He Lives. We sang that song at Jim's funeral last year. My Jim 
went on to be a teacher and a preacher of the Word of God and a great personal worker leading many to Jesus, just like that gentleman on board that boat in St. John. I wanted this gentleman to know that his labor was not in vain. That was my grampy. He gave up the love of life to live a life of love. And we can do that too. Live in a way that your legacy will well outlive you. That the ripple effect of your life, this is from 1947, is ringing in 2023. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've placed all of our lives not in the temporary and finicky things of this world, but in the eternal. Every human being right now listening to this voice, listening to us talk, is eternal in nature. You have created us. We may have an earthly expiry date, but we do not have an eternal expiry date. You've made us to live forever. God, help us to not be so short-sighted. Even as we scale and do things in life and accomplish great things and use the giftings you've given us to make this world a better place. Thank you, God, for all those resume virtues. But God, we cast those crowns down to you today. We recognize all of those good things that we've been able to accomplish. It's because you gave us a a capacity to do it. You gave us an energy to do it. You gave us a mindset to be able to do it and a will to do it. Lord, help us to do good in this world. And God, I pray as we do that, we wouldn't get distracted by that. But God, we'd root our lives in those eulogy virtues. That we would see people in our lives not to be used to make our life better, not to be used to accomplish something. But God, we would truly be involved with you in building people. And specifically, Pastor Jessica and I just pray for the parents in this room that you would give them a vision for building their children, each of them very unique and different from the other, in a way, God, that their life would emulate your life, God. Lord, we pray that you'd help us to choose character over career success and forgive us, God, when we've chosen shortcuts in this life. Help us to value how we do things as much as what we're doing, God. Lord, we take everything you've placed in our bucket Help us to empty our buckets as we age in this life. We can't take anything on. We can't take anything with us. We can send it on before us by pouring it out while we live this life. Help us to do that really well, God. Lord, we love you, we need you, and we want you. And we give you our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you, church. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time. Thank you.